You're about to hear my conversation with Dustin Reed. We talk about the Biden relief package focused on COVID, the prospects of inflation, and also if there's more stimulus coming in the back half of 2021. I hope you enjoy. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Information relating to investment approaches or individual investments should not be construed as advice or endorsement. Listeners should seek professional advice for their situation. Welcome to the McKenzie Investments Podcast. My name is Matthew Schnur, and I'm delighted to be here with Dustin Reed. Dustin is our Chief Fixed Income Strategist. Dustin, welcome back to the podcast. Hey, thanks very much for having me, Matthew. Uh, looking forward to diving into some of the current events uh, that uh, we're faced with today, uh, the 17th of February. Uh, and certainly one of the biggest ones is all about this relief package in the U.S. Uh, with Biden uh, looking to, to pass a substantial relief package. Uh, what's your view on, uh, on how successful he be and, and what actually gets passed? Yeah, for sure. So, you know, I think that the fiscal... Uh, theme globally and in particular in the U.S. is probably the biggest market driver at the moment uh, from a macro perspective. I think there are others, but clearly the fiscal story and particularly the, this package in the U.S. is is, is having a, a significant you know real time impact on you know on price action here, um, and so it, it is definitely a driver. Um, you know, uh, it's a it's a very big difference. You know what uh, what four or six weeks makes. Uh, Biden came in. Um, to his presidency with, I think, the view of trying to uh, pass or at least uh, enact this this first bill, uh, this COVID relief package bill, on a bipartisan basis. And I think within the few weeks of presidency, um, you know, has somewhat abandoned that away, uh, away from the bipartisan method, more towards a reconciliation method. And part of that, obviously, is the success that the Democrats had in Georgia with what I would say is a somewhat of a surprise right. win on, on both of the seats, right? Giving, as everybody knows, the Senate, you know, a 50, 50 tie with, with Harris, uh, vice president Harris, essentially the, the tie breaking vote, assuming a party line vote, of course, and everybody shows up. Yeah. Um, so that, that's, you know, that's, that has got this administration now, I would say gunning much more for a package along reconciliation lines as opposed to bipartisan. And that's important because A, you can kind of put a little more in there in what you want, in the package what you want. And B, the the notional size of the package is, you know, going to be higher. And maybe that sounds obvious now, but that's kind of the lines we were taking, you know, four weeks ago. So, you know, four, six weeks ago, I think many people were looking at maybe a trillion, maybe even something less than a trillion. Um right. You know that number now has definitely ratcheted higher. I would say to at least one and a half trillion, and some are even saying that Biden might get almost all of his 1.9. It's actually technically just below 1.9, 1.889 for those looking, um, you know, right below. Um, so I think that that's going to be a, you know, we've we've got a, a recalibration of sorts in terms of where markets think we're going to get some fiscal package, and then not only, you know, all of the the notional number, but the is also quite a bit higher. And then key there is uh, West Virginia Senator Manchin, uh, who is you know, uh, pretty much on the, on the right side of the Democratic Party and had put up a few 
concerns around uh, $15 minimum wage uh, issues, right. uh, the check issue, you know, the stimulus check issues. Um, he is on side. And one of the reasons I think he's gone on side is because the governor of West Virginia, who's a Republican, was basically pushing for Biden's program. And I think that gave Manchin, uh, a Democrat senator from uh, West Virginia cover, to basically go and, and do that. So that was or is in, in many ways the, the 50th vote, so to speak. And so you've seen the market start to reprice here uh, on the back of that. So, you know, all that said, I, you know, I think we're going to get a package. I think it's going to be a lot sizable than where we were a month ago. I would look for something at least one and a half trillion with, with upside risk as opposed to downside risk. And um, hmm. I think that that's going to happen. You know, we've been saying kind of mid, mid March to early April with the idea that some of the state, um, unemployment benefits that restarted from this, thanks to the, the uh, December uh, COVID package that got passed right. that would start expiring in, uh, in mid-March, uh, you know, be timed around there. It looks like it's kind of on the earlier side of that. Um, so I would even, you know, skew, uh, skew the package passage um, to more towards mid-March than early April now. So there's a lot of fiscal coming, um, and it's obviously been very constructive for, uh, you know, not only, um, you know, various markets, uh, you know, the rates market's obviously quite a bit higher, but, uh, you know, various right. sectors uh, amongst other, amongst other, you know, cross-assets have also benefited from the, uh, you know, the increase in the, in the notional amount and the probability of success. Well, maybe maybe I'll pick up on the rates market or or the the fixed income markets in general, um, based on this larger package. Uh, you're saying close to what Biden uh, has has outlined at 1.9 between 1.5 and 1.9. What's 400 billion dollars amongst friends? Right. Um, right. <laughs> um, so, what what has been priced into the market, and and uh, what are you expecting out of the market um, as, as this package becomes closer to reality? I think a lot of it is priced, um, but I think there's still upside because there's still unknowns here. What's going to be in it, exactly what the size is, you know, assuming that it does get passed, you know, what's the timing around it, that sort of thing. Um, I, I personally think that uh, th there's, there is some more upside to go here from a fixed income okay. perspective. I would say maybe even, you know, 10 to 20 basis points higher potentially on, wow. you know, on 10 year, on 10 year treasuries. Um, and I say that because, you know, this, you know, this morning we got the U S retail sales number for January and, um, you know, it, it's, it's an interesting number in so far as, you know, obviously we had the, uh, the, the COVID relief package from December, the $900 billion package, and that gave about 130 billion in, uh, you know, new spending to consumers. I mean, obviously a lot of that doesn't get spent, but it's the opportunity right. for 130 you know, to get spent, right? Everyone knows that a lot of this money has been saved um, and maybe even put into markets, et cetera. Um, but we saw a massive print, you know, a massive print on the, 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 um, the uh, January uh, retail sales number this morning, the control group, which is basically like the, the feeder number for GDP was up 6% month over month, which is a, which is a, wow. a, a, a monster number, um, you know, by any stretch. I forget what consensus was on that, but you know, was probably you know somewhere between 0.5 and 1%, you know, for you know from from a relative perspective. So I mean it's a you know it's a it's a huge print. And I say all that because you know the if the Biden plan gets passed, you know it's going to be I think over 400 billion 
in money, direct money to, <clears throat> excuse me, to consumers versus the 130 we just got in December. And we saw what happened in the January, you know, spending numbers. <clears throat> so I think that you're going to have, um, you know, the potential there and uh, some significant upside for rates. What's interesting on the rate side mm -hmm. to me, and I think to, you know, the team are, you know, obviously the Fed is around and still lurking and does not want to see big spikes in in the curve, massive steepening in the curve. Uh, it wants to make sure that uh, fundamentals are still relatively in line with the way things are, you know, um, you know, developing in the economy. And to be fair, I think a lot of Fed officials are saying, look, the rise in yields is appropriate <clears throat> because, you know, because we're, we're getting the stimulus, we're seeing the, the economy open up and, you know, the changes in the economic outlook from a growth perspective and inflation perspective uh, justify, you know, these, these moves higher. So I think that's, that's good. I think you're also, you know, but at the same time, if we continue to have, you know, gapping moves higher in yields, the Fed's going to, at least from a verbal perspective, try and come in and, and try and tame the market a little bit. I would also say that on the margin, although, you know, I, I think the team probably is not a huge believer that it's a, a, a major driver, but I think on the margin, the idea that uh, foreign investors, particularly uh, European and Japanese investors, domiciled investors, can hedge, uh, let's take 10-year treasuries, uh, you know, uh, for as an example, you know, right now they can they can fully hedge 10-year treasuries, Japanese investors, can fully hedge 10-year treasuries uh, at 90 basis points in, uh, in the round, uh, keeping in mind that, you know, uh, Japanese government bond uh, equivalent, 10-year equivalent uh, is 10 basis points. So you, right. you're going to see, you're going to see some, um, you're going to see some foreign investors come in and take advantage of this spike in yields and lock in, um, you know, some, you know, some higher yields in, in, in a rising yield environment globally. Although clearly if the expectation is for yields to move significantly higher, you're not going to be doing a, a massive amount of that. It all depends on obviously your, your risk profile and your benchmark and, and what you, and what you need to do. But it's very, but the point is it's very attractive for foreign investors to come in. And it, even if you fully hedge the, you know, the, uh, the, the currency risk on a swap basis, it's, uh, you're basically pocketing 80 basis points net, at least as of yesterday, close as a Japanese investor. So that, you know, the, those things cannot be ignored. So I think that, um, you know, I think we're going to continue to grind higher here. There will be days of, of spikiness, which we've had the last uh, couple of days. Um, but, but I think between the Fed and demand, because we've been so low for so long that um, it's not going to be a linear move to 2% in tens or something like that. Right. Um, maybe I'll, I'll switch a little bit and ask about inflation. Um, and you were starting to see asset prices in various sectors uh, go up. I mean, clearly Bitcoin uh, is, is one of those. Uh, oil's uh, over 60 now. Um, and then we're, we're, you're talking about the fairly large fiscal package uh, from the Biden administration. Um, do yep. you expect inflation to to spike up? Are we seeing early signs of inflation in those Bitcoin and and uh, oil and odd stock movements like GameStop, et cetera? Or is that more uh, idiosyncratic than it is representative overall inf inflation? So the inflation story I think is going to be a, a really interesting, uh, you know, <clears throat> piece of data or string of data, so to speak, to watch for the next six months. 
you know, we have the January data in the U.S. where last week the CPI data came out and it was a bit softer than expected, I would say overall. Then we had the PPI, kind of the intermediate price, uh, you know, index for January come out this morning. And uh, it was, to go along with retail sales, another another much larger than, much higher than expected print, which is, you know, kind of, you know, you don't usually see that, um, you know, all the time. I think most people, particularly at central banks, and those of us that are kind of watching this on a, you know, pretty, pretty minute basis, know that the base effects are going to have a significant impact on what the numbers look like as we get through March, April, May, because obviously last year, 2020, right. there was a huge, you know, cliff in, in, in demand and consumption, right? Aggregate demand, everyone knows that and knows why. And so prices fell pretty significantly, or at least slowed very significantly. And so the base effect, basically the denominator, um, you know, is a lot lower. And so it, you can, you can synthetically get a relatively high uh, inflation print as we move through the March, April, May prints, um, you know, in a few months time, you know, the, the Fed has, has already addressed it and, and smartly. So in my opinion, the Fed is, has already said that they believe that this inflation spike is going to happen. Uh, it's going to be short-term in nature, and it's going to be transitory, and they're you know, preparing to look through it. And I think most central banks are going to do that as well. I think the couple of questions that fall out are, what if, it's, what if these numbers are just absolutely huge prints, and it's more than a base effect issue? Um, you know, when, does, when, when do these things uh, you know, now become, okay, well, we actually have some significant inflation in the system. And then two, obviously, if it's you know, lasting longer than what I would say, you know, March, April, May, when the, the base effects from the, the complete, you know, fall off in aggregate demand from 2020 starts to, you know, dissipate. And, um, you know, our view generally has, you know, to this point been that we're not going to see a massive spike in inflation. Um, there will be pockets, of course, but uh, mm -hmm. probably not going to see a massive spike. Part of that is, you know, uh, a, you know, a, a gap in, in capacity utilization, you know, both in the U.S. and Canada, uh, and obviously, obviously a labor market that still has, you know, quite a lot of scarring and is still well below uh, or well above, depending how you look at it, but far away from full employment, you know, at least. Right. Um, and so how much inflation can you actually generate from that perspective? And then kind of, and then a third thing, and not to move backwards, but, you know, the Biden proposal about a $15 minimum wage, federal minimum wage, uh, if that came into if that came into effect, that would obviously have a, a significant impact on U.S. Um, right right away. Uh, I don't think that's going to happen, but you know that, that is another thing in, in terms of how it all kind of ties together. So right now, we're not overly concerned about inflation, although I think I'm a little more concerned now than I was a couple of weeks ago. And the, the you know the fiscal story in the U.S. And the fact, again, you know, higher number and a probability of a higher number and a little sooner, not by much, I mean, it's, you know, weeks as opposed to anything else, but kind of all that together suggests to me that uh, there's going to be uh, maybe a little bit more inflation in the pipeline than maybe I would have thought a month ago. Interesting, you know, uh, Yellen, um, maybe a week and a half ago, I think it was on a weekend, said that she expected full employment in the U.S. to happen by the end of next year, by the end of 22 which is, uh, I, I think it's aggressive. Uh, the Fed, right. Fed's not there. Uh, but, if, but if that's true, then um, you're, you're going to have inflation uh, pop up you know, at, a, at a significant pace 
a lot quicker than I think a lot of people are expecting and where the market's expecting. And so that'll, that'll need to be repriced. Keeping all that in mind, of course, uh, you know, in, in, you know, under the umbrella of the Fed's new inflation framework targeting, you know, policy, AIT, uh, and the Fed is going to let inflation run hot anyway, although we don't really know exactly what the metrics are. But we know that the Fed wants to be above 2%, probably above 2.5% for what I would think is a prolonged period of time. I would say at least three or four quarters. Um, but it has to be what I would call, you know, real inflation. And by real inflation, I mean, you can't have the base, of, the base effects kind of, uh, you know, muddying the, muddying the view. It has to actually be real economic, economically generated, uh, you know, uh, price level uh, inflation that's happening, you know, throughout the economy and not just in a handful of sectors. And sticking on, I guess, sticking on inflation and this idea of fiscal that we started the conversation with, um, we've heard talk, particularly during the campaign, about larger infrastructure bills or government spending from the Biden administration. Right. Um, Democrats control all three chambers, um, as, as you've as you've mentioned. Is that part of the inflation story? Do you, do you see that? Number one, do you see that coming to fruition? And number two, is that part of the inflation story or, or somewhere else uh, that you're considering it in your portfolios? So I think yeah, that's a good question. I think it's it's very much a part of the, uh, the thought process here. I think that there's a very strong probability that this administration and maybe even with some bipartisan support will... Um, hmm try to get a try to get a uh, an infrastructure and some are calling it the build back better uh, uh you know legislation later right. this year i think that um that that's ve- that's very possible um and i think you could see a bill going maybe even up to 2 trillion on that bill alone it'll be interesting to mm-hmm. see if uh depending on how this bill goes if there's going to be you know the reconciliation process used again because you could basically do one one reconciliation bill every fiscal year. U.S. fiscal year ends in September, uh, so the question will be whether the, that'll be um, a possibility for later this year. I think it's a very strong possibility. I think that uh, there's a huge push for uh, green jobs, um, uh, that type of infrastructure. Uh, you kind of beyond the, the usual, you know, roads, bridges, ports, tunnels, airports. You know, infrastructure that needs to get done. But I think that's an inflationary, um, another inflationary kicker, so to speak, to kind of come back to your question. And I think that that's mm-hmm. going to be a, a big driver. I think a lot of people are very focused on the COVID bill in front of us, and rightly so. It's a big deal. It's been a big market mover. But I think people need to start focusing on the fact that there's going to be there's a high probability of two very large fiscal bills getting passed within about six months of each other. And admittedly, you know, not all that money hits the ground or the economy, you know, on day one, sure. and, you know, the, the, the COVID one's probably a little more front loaded than the infrastructure one. Everyone knows kind of takes a long time for infrastructure projects to get going. Um, you know, but there's going to be some significant fiscal uh, stimulus happening this year, probably via two bills and probably in, in the three to four trillion range. And I think that, uh, you know, for, 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 for it not to have any impact on, Inflation, I think, is uh, you know probably not going to be accurate. It, it will have an impact on inflation, and uh, I think the market will begin to price it as such. So we're, you know, we're trying to get ahead of it via various ways in our portfolios, whether it's um, you know, tips portfolio, 
Um, I would say, you know, some sectors that are more cyclical that are going to benefit from, um, you know, a better or at least a higher inflation outlook. And I would also say, um, you know, kind of re reducing duration where appropriate, uh, obviously, as uh, as inflation uh, maybe starts to come back later this year would, would be appropriate, you know, across fixed income portfolios. Great. Uh, last question for you. I'd be remiss if we didn't talk about the virus a little bit. Seems like we're uh, in an arms race, uh, vaccines versus variants. Um, and depending on the day, one seems to have the upper hand. Um, what, what's your, uh, I guess, outlook on uh, the virus and, and impacts uh, to markets? Uh, and and what, what are you seeing in that realm? Well, I think things look pretty good in terms of uh, the rollout, at least on the U.S. side. I mean, uh, I think the rollout's actually gone better than most people, you know, most people expect. You know, the economy is definitely starting to open up. Um, you know, I've seen talk that if, you know, any adult who wants a, um, you know, uh, a vaccine uh, in the month of April will at least be able to get in you know, a lineup to get that vaccine. Um hmm. So obviously that's that's very constructive. That, that that might be a bit early, but you know that was something I was reading earlier today. The Canada story, I think, is a little bit you know behind that, unfortunately, in terms of you know when you look at you know percentage of uh, population either inoculated or, or or even having the the first you know first of two uh, doses. I think Canada's running around two point five or two point six percent of population. U.S. is I think you know four or five x that at this point. Um, right. So that's a bit of a concern from my perspective in terms of, you know, is the Canadian economy going to be a little bit lagging because there could be the potential for longer lockdowns or at least, you know, you know, orange zones, red zones that are not necessarily fully open compared to um, at least the U.S. I think continental Europe is, you know, probably a little more akin to where Canada is and the U.K. is a little more akin to where the U.S. is. But I think you know that's that's kind of my concern, and that uh, the Canadian growth has a potential to lag number of quarters as the U.S. seems to be getting a little bit further along than than Canada. Um, you know, but I think you know February was obviously a tough month getting vaccines here in in Canada. Um, you know, the government's obviously very constructive on uh, turning that around in in March, and I, I really hope that that is the case. I think if that is the case, maybe the disparity between Canada and the U.S. won't be as much. But uh, if we have another month, maybe this is obvious, but if we have another month like like February and March, uh, people are going to start to rethink, um, you know, how quickly, you know, the, the you know, Canadian economy is going to, I think, take off, uh, you know, especially compared to our, uh, you know, our southern neighbor. Dustin, thanks for your insights and spending time. I really appreciate it. Thanks very much for having me. Great to chat with you. content of this podcast, including facts, views, opinions, and recommendations, is not to be used or construed as investment advice and is not an offer or an invitation to buy or sell any security. The content of this podcast should not be relied upon for any purposes and McKenzie Financial Corporation is not responsible for any reliance upon it. This podcast includes forward-looking information that reflects our current expectations or forecasts of future events. Forward-looking information is subject to risks, uncertainties, and assumptions that could cause actual results to differ materially from those expressed herein. Our views are subject to change based on market conditions. Commissions, trailing commissions, management fees, and expenses may be associated with mutual fund investments. Please read the fun facts and prospectus before investing. 
The indicated rates of returns are historical annual compounded total returns, including changes to unit values and reinvestment of all dividends or distributions and does not take into account sales, redemptions, distribution, or optional charges or income taxes payable by any security holder that would have reduced returns.